Thank you. Good evening. There we go. That's so nice. How was supporting comrades? How many of you supported? Yes, you suck. <laughs> anyway, it is really good being with you. Uh, I, before I get into the sermon, I just want to boast about some people. So um, on Friday, we had We Are Durban um, conference with a whole bunch of NGOs. And I had a business guy phone me who had been visiting. And he said to me, Ross, the way... Weirdman runs their support to NGOs. It's like TED Talks. The way they serve them is just excellent. Everything is brilliant. Um, and so well done, those of you who support to get involved there. I'm so pumped to give them some money at the end of the, in this house, which is this week. And then, uh, and then Chester phoned me from Live Village. And so Chester used to be part of our congregation, went over and selfishly took over Live Village. And uh, anyway, he phoned me. He said that, that they're looking to um, basically put housing in for the community on the village. So if you've never been to the village, worth being there uh, or going there. And so we're going we're gonna to help support some of that, which I'm really pumped about. Just like incredible people in our community. And then the third thing happened last week is that I met with a lady by the name of Kudzai. And Kudzai came to see us because... Um, what she's heard is that we've been involved, some business guys have been involved in helping get a UIP and fix up Florida Road, and she, she wanted to know, do we think that that's replicable? Do you think we can do that, that churches can be economic nodes all the way through South Africa and, and basically fix up an area? And I said, hell yeah, we can, we can do this. And so we might be trying to multiply this out, which is just really, really cool. Last cool thing. Uh, so these things make me happy. I, I don't know about you. It feels like the roof's going to blow off. But anyway, um, I, the, the last thing is I, I've longed for, for the longest time to um, run business events where we connect black, white, Indian cross cultures into an environment that's, uh, that's inspiring and builds trust. You see, South Africa has an economy problem because we have a trust problem. So, so if you can get trust built and you can start building relationships between business people, a Christian, a Christian business people especially, it's an easy target, then what you can do is you can start generating movement in the economy. And so I've been kind of trying to do this like lame pastor on the side and uh, just running a few events. Anyway, we got to this event and my mate, who, who one of the guys speaking, Craig Coombe, um, he said to me, he said, Ross, do you mind if we bring a filming crew? So I said, okay. And he says, because I've invited three of my business networks, and we're looking at Olive Tree as a strategic partner to get the voice of business into the city. And so this Friday, you really want to get a ticket because there, there are so many highly influential business people, black, white, all kinds of people coming together. And uh, we're going to be inspiring you and we're going to be looking to connect people. So if you're in business, suggest you get your ticket early because the numbers are flying up. I think we're at 135 or something people coming so far, so we'll cap it quite soon. So get a ticket. Is that cool? Okay, let's get into the sermon. So on Thursday, I was prepping for this business breakfast, and I was chatting to um, Bonnie, who heads up um, the East Coast Radio. And to try and get into her life a little bit, I said, tell me your story. And she said to me, when I grew up in, in Bali um, Township outside Maritzburg, and she said, I was really poor. 
So somewhere between LSM 1 and 3. She said, I was, I was as poor as, as poor can get. And my, my dad, uh, she lost her mom just after she was born. Five sisters. Can you imagine being dad with five daughters? Anyway, five sisters. And, uh, and her dad was like a trainer. He, he trained people out of the world and that kind of stuff, what we would call a seater today. He was, he was doing that. And his dad said to all the girls, he said, Work as hard as you can in education because if you want to break out of poverty, education is the way to break out of poverty. So she studied as hard as she could. She, she worked really, really hard. And she went to a local government Zulu school. And anyway, at the end of her matric, she passed really well. But then she had no money for anything else. And so all her friends and everybody else was saying, go be a nurse. You've got such great marks. And she went, I don't want to be a nurse. So I want to do something else. And then God stepped in. So she, she'd found like a temp job where she was selling Christmas trees. And she grabbed one of the Christmas trees that was about twice her height. And Mr. Governor, who was selling the Christmas trees, said, go to Absa and sell to them. So she's carrying this thing. She said she was tiny, the Christmas tree twice her height, and she walks in. And as she walks in, she bumps into the branch manager. And the branch manager says, why are you not in school? And why are you carrying that Christmas tree? It's too heavy for you. And she says, well, I've just finished my trick. And he says, you finished my trick. How did you do? And she said, she told him her grades. And he said, I tell you what, you take that Christmas tree back to Mr. Governor and come back here and let's fill in a bursary for you. Yeah. From there, she goes to Vasti. She studies BCom. Her aunt who's kind of been paying the taxi fares for all the things she's been doing. Her aunt works as a cleaner at this varsity. She studies her BCom. Understand this, she didn't speak English when she got there. So she studies BCom. She flies through that, gets headhunted by Unilever, climbs to the top of Unilever, gets into Department of Tourism, and now heads up ECR. So I'm sitting listening to this. I've got goosebumps. I'm just, yes, it is amazing, yeah. Come on Friday. But anyway, I'm sitting and I've got goosebumps. I'm riveted. And uh, like, you know when you just leave a meeting and you're just on cloud nine? So I'm, I'm, I leave the meeting on cloud nine. And I'm driving back. And inspiring people can do one of two things for you. They can inspire you to change and do better or they can crush you. I don't know if you've... And I'm driving back and I'm thinking to myself, because I've just started studying Zulu. In fact... All I've got is videos. But anyway, I, I just started. And it's going to go slow. <laughs> this white boy, he sucks. And, and I thought to myself, if I had to study a BCom in Zulu, I'd fail. And then I thought, and if you put me into her background, her poverty, her, her life, her influence, if you put me through all of that, I wouldn't be speaking at this business breakfast. And I thought to myself, she's a unicorn. <laughs> like, like she's, she's got the drive and the personality and the talent and the brains. She's got, she's got, she's a unicorn. She's amazing. And uh, I'm okay, but I'm just not that. And, and as I was starting to think about that, what I realized is wherever I look, there's a unicorn. So if I, if I watch a surf contest, I see some little, like this high guy, shum shum, do this like big air off the lip of a wave, 
does like a cartwheel under his board, then flicks it back, and then he keeps on riding and hits the lip about five more times. And I go, what have, been, what have I been doing with my life? Like, what, what am I? I can't even do that on a kite. What is going on? And I, I was watching cricket the other day. Yeah, I know. And, and we have cricketers in our midst. Please be quiet. Uh, and, and I thought to myself, where's A.B.? Like... And then I just started looking at AB, because apparently he said he wanted in, and then it was too late. And, and I just looked at him. You know that he made 100 runs of 33 balls? And I thought to myself, what am I doing with my life? He retired at 34. He probably doesn't need to work. He probably has a job, but he probably doesn't need to work at 34. Like, what's wrong with me? I've recently, last story, and this is going somewhere, I, I recently got onto Instagram. It was a terrifying experience for me and anybody who was following me. Uh, so, so I got on, and a uh, oh, funny story. So I'm, I'm looking through, and you know how they give you suggestions? And obviously, they're trying to work out who you are. And so anyway, the, the algorithms are kicking in, and I'm getting these random suggestions, and I'm going like... <laughs> and then, by mistake, whilst I'm doing this, I press follow. And I look, and it's a rather scantily clad lady. So I'm going like, unfollow, unfollow, wife, don't see this. Ah, I'm like an Instagram nightmare. But I thought I would just go, sorry. Uh, I, <laughs> I, just, I just go look at like other pastors and try and see what the vibe is. And so I click on Stephen Furtick, and, and I look there, and it says, two million followers. <laughs> and I... I looked at mine and it said 128 followers. And I just went like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what's the point? So much of our lives is spent looking at unicorns. Because anytime there's a celebrity anywhere around us, we, we are reminded of what we're not. And in that space, you, you can get to a place, and I think most people are here, where you, you wake up, and you go, I thought my life would be more than it is. I thought I'd be more successful. I thought I'd be more wealthy. I thought I'd be more creative. I thought I'd be further down the line. I thought I'd be more married. I thought I'd be more, more something by now. And we used to call this midlife crisis, but now it happens at 23, so there's another name for it. But, but we've got to this, this thing where where I just thought I'd be further. And the more and more I speak to people, it's not just 23-year-olds, the more and more I speak to people across age spectrums, the more and more I realize that people are living their lives with a fundamental failure mentality, like I am failing. I'm not being who all I was made to be. I'm not being who God made me to be. And when it climbs into Christians, you start to see the pain. And I think Christians throughout the world are living with this, I'm not living up to who God made me to be. And I understand why that's there. There's a legitimate reason to that. It's because the scripture says that God has put eternity into your heart. So there is naturally a sense within you that I should be, I'm made for something more. I'm made for greater success, greater creativity, greater solutions. I'm made for heaven. And so it should actually great against you. But most Christians, one, don't know what they were made for whilst they're on earth, and two, are feeling like they're failing. So I'm going to tell you what you were made for whilst you're on earth. Kind of the Bible's very clear. You were made for three things. 
If you're a Christian, you are made for these three things. You are made, firstly, to be fruitful, which means bring the love, bring the joy, bring the peace, bring the good stuff. Secondly, to, and here's very Christian words, to manifest the kingdom. Basically, bring the power of God. Pray for the sick and see them healed. Cast out demons. Bring the creativity of God to to solutions. Bring the wisdom of God. Bring life. Just bring the power of God in your life to restore and create order where there's chaos. Bring God into environments. While we pray, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. That's, That's manifesting the kingdom. And the third thing that you're made to do if you're a Christian is make disciples. But the combination of the world coming against you with all the unicorns and Satan and if you don't believe in Satan just go with me on this thing and Satan consistently reminding you of how you fail makes Christians stuck see this is what I realize Satan does he comes to you and he goes you're not fruitful you don't bring peace you bring pain And for so many of us, we've brought pain somewhere down the line. And he'll remind you, you bring pain. You you don't love, you lust. You You don't bring kindness, you're harsh. And he'll remind you of every single thing you do wrong. And if you think you don't do anything wrong, then I'll help you. But you you do stuff wrong, and and so you go, you're right, I'm, I'm not fruitful. And then he goes... And if you're not fruitful, how can God use you to manifest the kingdom? All of you keep looking up. I promise you, it's the roof staying there. It'll be there. If you're not fruitful, how on earth are you going to manifest the kingdom? Why would God use you to heal someone? Why would God use you to bring a miracle? If you can't bring the love, how's God going to use you? And then he says, and if you can't bring the power of God... Why on earth would you make a disciple? Why would any disciple want to follow you? He just whispers this in your ear. And so Christians are taken out nonstop. Because in so many areas, parts of this conversation, he's right. I am not fruitful all the time. I'm often hurtful. And you're right. I don't deserve to manifest the kingdom. And you're right. Because I'm not fruitful all the time and I don't manifest the kingdom all the time, I I shouldn't make disciples. He's right about all those things, but he's so wrong about one thing. See, we've been doing the series in this house. And in this house, we are not made right by the good deeds we do. We're made right by the good deeds Jesus does. And so we're going to dive into... A scripture from Romans chapter 4, and then I'm going to unpack this. And it says this in Romans chapter 4. By the way, I was supposed to announce this. If God put into your heart to give to the In This House pledge, it's going to give hope to where Durban um, and to live, and then it's going to finish in the building. If God's put something in your heart, they're envelopes, and you can fill them in, and please hand them in at the back afterwards. Cool. That's the money part done. Okay, in Romans 4 verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? 
If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Okay, that scripture is like the whole Bible kind of sits around that scripture. So we're going to go back to it. And then it says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Here's what it's saying. Abraham somehow worked out that it wasn't doing good stuff that made him right with God. He worked out somehow that it was his faith that made him right with God. This is kind of what this is saying. Now, when I was first in corporate, um, I, I tried to hire all my mates because I just thought I'd rather work with my mates than these old punk. No, I didn't think that, but I just thought let's, let's get my mates in. So, so I, I had, I'd like hired two or three of my mates from Varsity, and then I decided I'd, I wanted, there was a, a girl called Amelia who was just, she was so friendly, and she was just lovely, and I thought, man, we need to get Amelia in here. So I phoned her, I said, how's your company treating you? And she said, not so well. So I said, do you want a job? And, uh, and my bosses knew that I did this, but because I had a good track record, I just kept bringing them in. Anyway, so... I'm telling another mate that I've brought Amelia in, and he says to me, let's prank her. So I said, okay. So he says, um, what I want you to do is just give me her extension. So I gave him her extension, so he finds her. He says, hi, Amelia. My name's Eric. I'm from Discovery. And um, because you've come onto the company books, you, you come onto Discovery, and what I wanted to offer you is you can either come in for a two-hour health assessment, or we can quickly do it over the phone. So she goes, great, I'd love to do it over the phone. So, so he says, okay, so we're going to do a little health test. So what we need you to do is just raise your, your heartbeat up a little bit. So she says, okay. So he says, will you just quickly do 10 press-ups? So she does. It's like cubicles, like open plan, like cubicles. She's like, looks around, and she does 10 press-ups. She gets up. He says, will you just check her, her pulse, uh, your pulse? And she checks her pulse. He says, ah, that's a little too low. What we need you to do is, um, are there stairs there? No, he knows there's stairs there. So he says, yes, there's stairs there. And, and so he says, will you just go up and down the stairs three times? You must, you must go down two flights. So I'm like listening, because I'm close to the stairs. I hear this. She's in high heels. Comes up back to the top. And then I can see she's like sweating, and, and she's... You can see she's a little flustered. She goes to the phone, picks up the phone, and he says, okay, will you um, check your pulse again? She checks it, and he says, now, I want to check not just your pulse, but your blood pressure. So what I need you to do is stand on a chair and just lift your hand up in the air. And, and as she's, she's like, uh, you can see, she's, she's not so sure about this. And he says, uh, he says to her, you need to do this quickly because your pulse is going to go down. So up she gets, and as she gets up, he says, can you see Ross from there? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. Here's the point. Here's the point. If you can get someone to believe a lie, you can control them. 
If Satan can get you to believe that the only way you're made right with God is by you getting your life right, he can destroy your destiny. You will never be fruitful. You will not manifest the kingdom. You will live out of the purpose and calling of God on your life. If you, let, if you believe that one lie. And Abraham, amazingly enough, he manages to understand that I am not made right with God by what I do, but by what I believe. And, and I want to tell you how he got this revelation. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to race through this. It says this in, in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. What God's saying is, I'm your shield, I'm your protector, I'm your reward, I'm your provider. And so they have this conversation where Abraham goes, God, you've blessed me with stuff. You've protected me. But what's the point if I don't have my own child? My servant is going to become heir. And then God says to him, then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And here's the verse. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Okay, so that's the principle. But I want to go a little bit further. The story carries on. But he said, Abraham said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So God says this. He says, I'm going to give you a child who's going to become a nation. I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to bless you. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. He goes, I've got you. And so Abe, who's been waiting for this child for a while now, he goes, God, I, just, I believe you, but just when I start to doubt, just give me something. And so God says to him, bring a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. I got a WhatsApp from one of my friends the other day. Where is it? Dead budgie, not going cheap. Anyway, please move it. I'm just making sure everyone's awake. God says... Go get these animals. Some of you are like, this Bali honestly needs help. <laughs> God says, go get these animals. And Adram, Abraham cuts them in half. You got to go, what? God didn't ask for animals cut in half. He just asked for three animals, four animals. Why, why are they getting cut in half? And whenever you read a, a scripture and it doesn't have a directive and someone does something, you got you to go, they must understand something I don't. Abraham understood something that we don't. He understood that when God asked for animals, a covenant was about to be sworn. You see, back in those days, everything was done by covenant. And so the way a covenant worked, I've, I've got this rituals of cutting a covenant. The first thing that would happen is that there would be a, a proclamation of blessing. So two parties who wanted to enrich each other and to protect one another, they'd come together and they'd go, I have 152 cattle and 38 sheep, and I've got 200 talents of gold, and when you're in trouble, I will come to you or help. And when I'm in trouble, you'll come to, and they'll bless each other. And Abraham, God comes to Abraham, and he blesses him. He says, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you kids, I'm going to bless you with wealth, I'm, I'm going to give you a future. 
The second thing that happens in a covenant is that they exchange robes. And what you were doing when you were exchanging robes, you'd take off your robe, you'd give it to someone else. You were saying, I accept your person and you accept my person. And that would be followed very quickly by often the exchanging of names. Some of you have seen this. It's called marriage. Okay, so they would change names. And God comes to Abram. And the name of God, Yahweh, we say Yahweh, it's Y-H-W-H. See, in Hebrew, there are no vowels. You have to, like, guess what's in the middle. And the way the, the rabbis would speak about it is the unpronounceable names. And so, so what God does is he takes the, the breath of God and he puts it into the middle of Abram's name to be called Abraham, going, you are marked by my name and my breath. Then they would exchange belts and weapons. And what they were doing is they were saying, you know, like, if you see an oak who's like a mini version of Bucky's Water, you, you don't cause a fight, because just maybe they're related, and then you're in trouble. So this is the thinking, that when you're in trouble, I will come to your aid. You swap weapons because you're saying, now I fight your battles and you fight my battles. And God says to Abram, I'm your shield, your great reward. Then they make a sacrifice. So they, Abram cuts all these animals up. And what would happen next is that the people going into the covenant would walk around the covenants. And as they were walking around the covenants, they would say, may it be done to me as is done to these animals if I break the covenant. And they'd walk in a figure of eight. And the figure of eight is like eternal. So they'd keep walking round and round these sacrifices declaring blessings and curses. The next thing, they would mark themselves. So they would cut themselves, and they'd put often ash into it so that there was a, a scar, and if it was a blood covenant, they would rub arms against each other so that the blood was mingled. It was, a, it was a covenant of two people coming together, and the marking, the scar, would tell you that that oak is in covenant with that oak, so don't mess with him. Abraham is told to get a mark, just you can't see it. But this is what happens next. And the entire gospel kind of hangs around this. Abraham, he's, he's got the heifer, and then he says in verse 12, it says, And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. If you understand what's going on here, you'll understand the whole gospel. Up until now... Absolutely every part of this covenant has been God to Abram. Abram's brought nothing to the party. God's brought the blessing. God's changed the names. God's brought the protection. God's brought the provision. God has brought every single aspect of this covenant. And then God puts Abram to sleep. He can do nothing whilst he's asleep. And whilst he's asleep, he gets a vision, and then he wakes up, and it says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. He's fast asleep, 
God's performing a covenant. And the next thing he wakes up and he looks and he sees someone carrying a pot and a torch walking between the covenants. And if you read all of the scripture, it says that God, who could find no one greater to make the covenant with Abraham with, swore by himself. Do we want to know what's going on here? Jesus is making the covenant on Abraham's behalf to God. And he's going, Father, one day when your people break everything about the covenant, I will be the sacrifice to take away their sins and carry their punishment. And Abraham's watching, doing nothing. And Jesus is walking going, Father, I love these people and I love you. And so you can pour out your wrath and your punishment on me. And they will be made righteous by my sacrifice, not by anything they do. Because it's the only way. Because you're not good enough to be made right with God. You see, the gospel has got so little to do with you. It's all about Jesus and the Father. It's how you made right. It's how you perform miracles. It's how you pray for the sick and they're healed. It's how you receive the Holy Spirit. It's all by just believing in the sacrifice. And so as we wrap up the service, the worship guys are going to come up and we're going to take communion. Because covenants are wrapped up in a meal. And here's what I want you to know. Whilst these guys are, try not to focus on them. Have a good look at them. Good looking band. Okay, look back at me. When Satan comes to you and he goes, why do you think you can disciple people? Why do you think you're good enough to pray for them? Why do you think you're good enough to start a life group? Why do you think you're good enough to tell people about Jesus? You're not fruitful. You're not kind. You're hurtful. Because he's going to say that. This is what you say back to him. You're so right. But I'm not made right by what I do. I'm made right by what Jesus did. Because he did it all. So that I could carry the of God. The breath of God into my life. See, because he, Satan's incredible at reminding you about the abortion you had. And about the people you hurt and that thing you stole and that thing you did back there. And he just reminds you and reminds you and reminds you. And what you've got to do is you've just got to keep reminding him about the sacrifice and reminding him and reminding him and reminding him. And this moment now, as you take the communion cup, Jesus says, whenever you take this, remember me. Here's what you're doing. You're reminding yourself and you're reminding Satan that I am not qualified by what I do. I'm qualified by what Jesus did. This is the power of the gospel. It sets you so free. You can have an addiction and lay a hand on the sick and say, in Jesus' name, be healed and watch them be healed. The only one who can disqualify you is you by believing a lie. 
when we take of the communion, what we're saying is, Jesus, your sacrifice is more than enough. Forgives my sins and it heals my diseases and it makes me a new person. So as I'm waiting for the last few people to get, when you're ready, I know it's not much of a meal, but it's, but belief in this is the most powerful thing, one of the most powerful things you can ever do. I, I take communion often. It's a reminder, Satan, you're not going to judge me by what I did. I get judged by what Jesus did. And so Jesus, I want to say thank you so much. Thank you for your blood shed for me on the cross. Thank you for washing away my sin. Thank you that it's because of you that I can be made right and I can live out the destiny on my life. And so as I take this cup, I take it full of faith in your finished work. Thank you that your sacrifice is enough. Let's take together. And Jesus, I want to say thank you for your body broken for me. That you, in effect, became those animals cut in two. You were, you were ripped apart on my behalf. And I just want to say thank you so much that because of that, I can be healed and strengthened and renewed and I can have your life for mine. And so I take of this in remembrance of you. the goodness of the gospel kind of washes over you. We're going to sing one last song. And my prayer is as you sing this song, God's spirit fills you because you've been washed by the sacrifice of Christ. And he fills you up again. So let's stand. We're going to worship.